You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum. May God be with you and peace be upon all of our listeners around the world who regularly tune in on a Tuesday afternoon to listen to myself, Hanif and Zakria, who are here on a regular basis to the best of our abilities. And thank you for staying with us. We've got some exciting topics for you today. In the first hour, we're going to be talking about adoption and and the importance of adoption and what it means legally and from an Islamic lens as well. And then we're going to be talking about the most fascinating subject that you can ever think about, and that is science. Is science really imperative to having God behind it, or is it just purely scientists? So that's the question that we're going to be talking about in the second hour. But what we're going to be doing first is letting you know how to get in touch with us during the show so you can be part of it as well and be with myself and Ethan Zakrias. So you can get in touch with us the normal way. Pick up the phone on, give us a call on 0208-687-7878 or... Catch us on all of our social media platforms um, and even tweet us. The handle is always at Voice of Islam UK. And we look forward to reading out some of your messages that we put out there on our Instagram as well. And we're asking you the question. It's a poll, actually, to ask if you would agree that a child should be told of their adoption parents as soon as they are able to. So give your comment on there, um, or you can it's a yes, no answer. Let us know about that. So we're going to get into this subject, the first hour of adoption. But actually, I have my co-host with me, Zakria. Uh, so Zakria, how has your week been? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been uh, very well. Uh, in fact, um, we are actually uh, preparing for the Jalsa Salana, which yeah. uh, is at the end of this week, uh, starting from uh, Friday and then Saturday, Sunday, which is the annual convention. So we, pretty much, the community, uh, pretty much everyone is uh, busy in preparing for the Jalsa, which which is a very interesting gathering that happens uh usually it's a natu- national uh, international gathering uh annually but this year we're limited limiting it for uh, only 30,000 nationally but yeah it's been it's been it's been a good week i've enjoyed the the weather and every single you know a minute of it because you know you never know when it's going to rain in the uk so <laughs> uh so yeah i um, i i did have a a, a wonderful week right so one of the things that whenever I listen to Voice of Islam myself, I do often, I listen to my co-presenters as well and all of, it, and all of their live shows as well. We always talk about the weather. I don't know. It's just, it's just maybe maybe this year, maybe this year we're talking a bit more about the weather because you know, we had amazing weather. Yeah. You know, it's been, the sun has come up 
quite more often than yeah. than, uh, than yeah. other years. But both extremes. We've had uh, severe <laughs> uh, rain. We've had uh, extreme temperatures. But obviously, the world is changing. Yeah, and um, so much so that yes. The weather is is always on, it depends on our on minds. your mood as well, isn't it? So it if you does. if you have a good mood, then it it's because of the weather. If you if you have a bad mood, then it could be the reason of the weather yeah. as well. But yeah, um, exactly right. So anyway, so forgive us, our listeners. We always talk about the weather, <laughs> and it's nothing new, especially if you're in the United Kingdom. Uh, like Zakaria says, when you leave the house, you have no idea what you're wearing. And are you going to take four layers or are you going to have, a, have a, an umbrella with you? You just don't know. So anyway, so bear with us on that. And I'm sure our listeners around the world will probably understand and listeners, and obviously our listeners in the UK. But right. So we're going to get right into this uh, subject now because the adoption. Adoption is um, a really interesting subject, very heartfelt, heart-rendering, heartwarming on so many angles and whenever you look at it whenever you discuss it whenever you talk to people about it their lived experiences and also how they have tried to adopt and not been successful or those who have been successful because of the vetting process that actually goes through especially in this country uh, trying to find the right match it's really difficult to do that because you've got to go through so many loopholes. But when it does happen, it's probably and is the best experience one can have because there are so many advantages to adoption. And adoption is, in fact, the legal taking of another's child and bring it up as your own or the fact of being adopted. When exactly you look at this, you talk about taking the child and bring it up as your own. Yeah. This is also has a blessing in it from an Islamic perspective as well. Yes, of course. There's so much blessings. Um in fact the um if I'm uh, please forgive me uh, you can correct me as well. Mm. Um I think the holy prophet peace and blessings Allah be upon him once said that someone who, you know, uh, uh, brings up a, a a an orphan, right? Um he and that me will be like this yeah. so you know, he showed his two fingers and basically two fingers together mm. so that certain person who's actually adopting a child will be extremely close and we know that the holy prophet prophet muhammad is the uh, you know the example for the whole humanity because he actually brought the message of islam which is a universal message right so in our view or islamically you can say that this is one of the best um actions um you can do in your lifetime so if if, if you can then you should definitely do it yeah i mean it does say in the holy quran that call them by the name of their fathers yeah that is more equitable in the sight of allah w- what does that mean when they say call them by the father's name is, is what's the significance of that in Islam because when you look at the adoption process 
now in in the Western world, yeah. it's kind of you you tend not to want to let the child know that there's been adoptive, and obviously you never give them the father's name. Yeah. Why is Islam or the Holy Quran saying this 1400 years ago and being very explicit in this? Because you know, when, when you know you've seen this with with the children as mm. well, you know they're very emotional, they have an attachment, uh, but when you don't, this, this means that she should, you know, be truthful, tell the truth that if you have been adopted then you should be told that look you you know we adopted you and we wanted you as to be a, our son or, or our daughter right and your actual father is you know certain certain person if you know them of course the reason behind that is because let's say if that child grows up and then suddenly finds out that these are not my actual parents if they have the same race you know or you know they look the same then it's a big shock that you know sometimes you know children can't bear mm. yeah it's it's and it can break relationships as well yeah. right so you know in my opinion this is the reason that in the quran says that you should be you should tell the truth about uh, you know who who the identity of the mm. child is yeah and and i think the because there is a time when a child is able to comprehend yes but also the easiest option is to know that they have an, an additional name part of their name. Yeah. That kind of as they grow up it kind of starts making a little bit of sense, doesn't yes, it? To yes, them? Yes. Rather than explaining it to them at a moment when they're probably coming at them from a fresh start, but they yeah. kinda understand it. Hmm. Because we talk about the relationships that parents have, especially the relationship at adolescent age when it's so difficult for parents to be able to raise their child because yeah. of the emotions attached with it. Hmm. And then when they go through and then they realize, they think, well, did I really need to go through all of that? Or or was it a positive experience hmm. for them? But there is this thing about maintaining the connection after adoption, isn't there, which is really important. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very important to maintain this connection. Hmm. I mean, uh, if you look at the system, and what, uh, there's one incident um, uh, from Lancaster, at, uh, Lancashire. Yeah. Um, a, a grandmother from there says she has been left heartbroken by an adoption system that strips both grandparents of any right to see the children. So, uh, I mean, sometimes system, you know, breaks the relationships and, and that is something that, you know, needs to change as well. Um, and and for example, uh, her name, Sarah, had con um, contacted her local authority mm. after becoming concerned about her grandchildren and their parent. And she says at the time she just wanted to wanted help. And the children who were already in and out of the foster care system yeah. are now waiting to found. Uh, an adoption family yeah. and uh, uh, the system in place for their protection means she can no longer see or have contact with them. So uh, you can't imagine what it's like yeah. is the words that she told ITV News um, and he also, she also said you're not going to see the children grow up. Mm. So it's a very um, hard thing yeah. um, for Remember, you know, the, the grandparents, parents, if they are not able to see their children, even after realizing that they're, or, or their grandchildren, even if they're realizing that their actual 
you know, uh, th- th- their blood relation with mm. them. I mean, and in in this scenario, when you're describing about this uh, real life situation, is that when she she was raising the children as a grandparent. Yes. Um, so obviously, she had that relationship with them anyway. Yeah. And she was there filling in the gap knowing that there will be a next step for them. Mm. So they got into the system. Mm-hmm. Then when she inquired, because they're in the system, yeah. she wasn't said you, you can't find out where they are. And, and she said that she'll have to wait, isn't it, until yeah. they they grow up. Yeah. Then they're free of, um, at a certain age, to be able to make their own decisions. I think it's 18, isn't it? 18, 18 yeah. I'm not sure, yeah, 18. And then, then if they decide to go and meet them, then it's up to them. But yeah. before that, it's... It's not. I want to ask you a question. So, when we talk about raising children, yes, and we're trying to lay the foundations in in the child and how we want them to, I guess, be for the rest of their life. Yeah, I, I've heard and 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 been said in many sermons that by the age of four, around that kind of age, you kind of instill many qualities in the child, don't you? And that comes from the parent or the grandparent or the guardian. Yeah. Now. If if you wanted to instill certain good habits, then but then you lose that contact, you don't know how they're going to end up, right? This is probably how way she's feeling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's the 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 early ages is yeah. a very crucial age, mm. uh, very important for the children to, you know, give them the best education, best upbringing. Mm. So that stays afterwards for their whole life. Because imagine if they're twelve, thirteen years old. Or even 18 years old, right? That's already too late. Mm. You know, you can't, uh, you can't bring them up, yeah. or you can't tell them to whatever. Yeah. So it's it's imp- it's it's very difficult, of course. In the Holy Quran, it is written that Allah has not made for any man two hearts in his breast, nor has He made those for your wives from whom you leap away by calling them mothers. Your mothers, in fact, no. Uh, your mother, uh, mothers, in fact, has made those whom you adopt as sons. Your sons, in fact, these are merely the words of your mouth. But Allah declares the truth and he guides to the right path. Along with this, uh, you know, the information, the, it, it's in the commentary of this verse, yep. it is explained that... Um, the the words here is used adya um which is the plural of adya which means uh one who is claimed as a son by a person who is not his father adopted son one whose origin or lineage or uh parentage is doubted one who attributes his descent to other than his father the verse sought to abolish two very deep rooted and widespread customs of the Arabs in the Holy Prophet's time. Mm. The more obnoxious of these two was that of Zihar. A husband in a fit of anger would call his wife his mother. The poor woman was deprived of her uh, conjugal rights and yet remained tied to him without the right of marrying another man. So uh, in in short, it was a a custom of some men um, who used to call their out of anger they they didn't want any relationship or they didn't want to talk to their wives and they used to call them mothers yeah. you know you're my mother right and then by saying this they have cut off their their relationship as yeah. husband and wife but they still used to live together so this is what the verse says that you should not 
say such things because mm-hmm. God has made you partners for each other. Yeah. So it's 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 not up to you to decide. Yeah. And, and this is what you're describing here is like predated Islam. Predated right? Islam. Yes. This isn't the Islamic practice, obviously, because also it not, says yeah. um, that people used to, when they used to adopt, they you would call their adopted son by the name of the adopted father. Yeah. Again, because that was quite common practice. But yes. This, but the teachings of Islam that came 1400 years ago kind of stopped all of that. And they literally did say that call them the adopted son by the names of their fathers. Yeah. So it was very clear in that. Yeah, it's very clear from uh, from the 1400 years ago that mm. from the beginning you tell them the truth that this is your actual father. Yeah. And call them by their uh the name of their fathers so they know who their actual father is. And then of course um you know um Zaid was one of uh uh, you know, one of the um, uh, the adopted sons of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings Allah be upon him. And one day, uh, the parents of Zaid came to the Holy Prophet and said that, you know, we want to take our son back. And uh, the Holy Prophet, you know, peacefully said, yes, you can take your son back. It's your right. It's your son. And he basically, Zaid decided to stay with the Holy Prophet. You know, after you know the Holy Prophet, uh, you know, released him. He, co- he was a, a a slave before, and he adopted him as his own child. So not just only released him from being mm. a slave, right? But also because the Holy Prophet always and always emphasized on releasing slaves because it was a very, it was a custom of the Arabs to have slaves, and he used to emphasize and tell companions and others to stay to um, you know um, uh, also called uh, release them from yeah. from slavery and the, the, this child stayed with the Holy Prophet when the parents came and the Holy Prophet said okay yes that's your child okay I've been bringing him up but then it's your child you have the right you can take him right um, I mean if he if Zaid decides to go with you then he can go with you I mean I, I cannot say anything because it's you know father so and then he went and then he came back. He said, no, I, the, the love that I've received from you, I cannot, you know, I, I, I want to stay with you. And then the Holy Prophet said, okay, yes, okay, if you want to stay with me, I cannot force you, of course, uh, to go back. So this is <laughs> the relationship that the Holy Prophet had with um, uh, orphans uh, or with, uh, with, with uh, adopted children. Yeah. And also... Um, he gave a lot of emphasis, like I said, in towards the beginning as well. Yeah. This hadith, this saying of the Holy Prophet, that someone who adopts a an orphan, um, he's like uh, like there's two fingers uh, uh, together, and he's extremely extremely close to me. Uh, in in, I the mean, in, in that incident, you, you what you've got to uh, probably also imagine is that when you had parents who have come for their child. Uh, Zahid, like you mentioned, mm. and they probably haven't seen their son. He got taken away. He was in slavery, mm. and they found out that he was a free man. Yeah, and they said, "Well, let's go and get um, Zaid back and bring him to his family." Yeah, and they've come with great hopes, thinking we're now yeah. going to found our son. We're now going to reunite with him yeah. and take him back to his family, who are eagerly waiting for him. And because we know this, that the actual the birth, the, the relationship you have uh, with your own child that you gave birth to yeah. is still much stronger 
in a way because it's natural that you would want your child to be with you. Hmm. So when you go then to the Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to say, right, can we please have our child back? Because hmm. we didn't know he was a freed man. Yeah. And now he's free. He's Of course he can do whatever he wants. Exactly. But then for him, like you said, to say, that, no, sorry, I'd rather stay here. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's it it must be been so difficult for the parents. But I think if the parents knew the love that he had received and the way he was able to live his life mm. under or besides uh, with the Holy Prophet, well, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was probably couldn't get that from anywhere else. No. So it just shows you that where we talk about the blood relation, how important it is, but still at that point, the story, not the story, the actual events that took place, mm. um, shows how the love of the Pro- Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gave to, to all orphans. And, and Zaid yeah. was a perfect example. Yeah, I mean, mm. it's a perfect example. The, the, the child knew the actual father. There was no hiding there was no, uh, nothing as um, the Holy Prophet didn't say that you're my actual child. And there is no, you know, hard feelings either. But if you, for example, try to hide something and then suddenly you realize that, um, no, this is not my, uh, this is not my actual parents. So he is my parents, right? Then this, this becomes a, a tension between in, in the parents, I guess. Yeah. So, so when we talk about the benefits of building up a relationship between adoptive and birth families, there is a whole thought process that goes into this from a young age all the way to adulthood. And where children and youth have been adopted and maintained their relationship with their birth families and their caregivers and the other important people in their lives that benefit them in significant ways, which we talked about, the adoptive parents can still still play a very important and instrumental role in helping their children maintain the contact with their hmm. families um, and especially the caregivers because it's really important that to have an individual that is completely rounded and has all his senses and all his emotions together intact is really important because when you realize that you are adopted and you don't know and you don't have the support there's always feel that there's something missing yeah. inside you you feel you're not whole it's like a jigsaw puzzle that's mm. missing and that jigsaw puzzle somehow needs to be filled and, and how it's filled that void but but going through the process that we've explained from the islamic perspective although there may be a void but you know about it but it's easy to fill yeah it's easy to understand and comprehend yeah. for you to move forward but the fact of not knowing or realizing later on in life, mm. you sometimes start attributing all your challenges and all your problems to that one aspect of your life, yeah. which could then determine. That's why having this whole thing about having a support network from yeah. caregivers, from the actual birth parents and obviously the adoptive parents, yeah. um, to be working together wherever possible. But that's the kind of process and the thing of the islamic perspective yeah. but it's not really always seen that way is it from, no from it's, the society it's not today but wh- when i when i look at family right mm. um when you look at the 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 incident of uh as noah right uh, prophet yeah. noah and his son and the promise that god gave to him so you know the incident when uh you know uh the the the, the town was flooded right and god promised prophet noah 
that I will save your your family, right? I will save your family, and uh, you know, don't worry, I will save your family. And then, w- what happens is that the the son of Prophet Noah he didn't want to go with uh, Prophet Noah on the boat, and he said that I don't need your help. You go with your boat. I will, you know, uh, t- uh, take refuge on the mountain. So the, the, he was standing on the mountain and they were speaking to each other and they say, you know, you will be drowned. Come to the boat. You will be safe. He said, no, I don't need your help. And then in an instant, the wave came and then, you know, he was drowned as well. Right. And then uh, Prophet Noah, peace be upon him, you know, complained to God Almighty that you promised me that you will save my my family. Right. And God said that if you think your family is your immediate, you know, your blood relationships, right? Your sons, your daughters, or, you know, your your, your, mm. your father, your, your uh, whatever, uh, then it's wrong. Relationship uh, is, th- you know, your family is those who have faith in you, who have faith in God, and is in the same community, basically. So basically, have the same faith. Right, and they have accepted you, and they have listened to you, and they have mm-hmm. come to the both. So this is one way you can say, in as Muslims, you know, we think that all, all the Muslims they're like family, they're, they're like a family mm. member. So sometimes what happens is, even if your closest, you know, even if your son, right, he can turn against you and he can harm you. So you know, sometimes you get hurt of the, you know, you've done so much for your child. But then he turned against you, right? So you should not attach yourself so much, but always have faith. And and, and faith is something that, you know, will always keep you in straight path. Mm. You know, so this is this is what, what I think as I you know, uh, you know, even if someone is adopted, if he's someone who or she's, uh, you know, has the same faith, right, they will never break. Mm. And they will think, okay, yes, this this connection is made by by God. Yeah. Uh, you know, it has to happen. So, what what you're explaining here is that although when we raise a family, yeah, and we have children that uh, are our blood relations, yeah, and also our own children, and although they may grow up and make choices in their own way and they might go away from their parents and want to live an independent life. Yeah. Or it doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship is gone. Hmm. It's just the way they have decided to lead their life. Yeah. But you still maintain the relationship, may maybe distance or whatever, or then you may have someone who's not your own child yeah. and have a close relationship with somebody else and they can develop that bond that you maybe weren't able to have with your own Siblings, for yeah. example, and, yeah. and etc. So that's why the the family is so important. And that's why also in Islam, then it talks about the importance of adopting, because yeah. they're also part of the whole family, right? All the family, yeah. yeah. It's they're also a part of whole, the family, and also the sons of Adam. You can say. Um, um, I mean, the the thing is that every creation or every human being is created by God Almighty. So. If you look at that way, that every single person who you you know make a connection with, and you build a connection as a let's say uh, 
a, a, a brotherhood connection, right? So that is something which is stronger than just having a blood relationship. Because blood relationship, you know, if you get too attached to that, and then they, and you, you have a lot of expectations as mm. well. So those expectations, if they, if someone uh, of your very close relatives, they break it, mm. then you know, it, can, yeah. it can break you as well. I mean, the other thing is, if you are a, a parent who have got a single child or would like to have more and unable to, and you've got a lot of love to give, and you've got a big house, and you've got the means to, this is a great way to be able to share that love yes. and increase your family. Of course, yeah. Yeah, there are there are many parents actually mm. who you know, let's say they have a big house, right? What they do is they they would adopt and they will bring other children to their house and bring them up. So, you know, they they're sharing the love that they give to their children to other orphan children as well. And this is what you know god really really loves of mm. um you know of of his uh, creation of humans that this is what true love that god has which shows which attributes uh, you know the love of god is attribute in you know the same attribute uh, a, a human being has adopted in himself yeah. by by adopting a child who's not family member right to, to f- for himself yeah Great. I mean, I, I think our listeners are probably enjoying what we're talking about and understanding this relationship that we have and probably got our own personal experiences as well. So obviously, if you want to share your thoughts, get in touch, like I said at the beginning, through our social media on Voice of Islam UK or give us a call on 0208-687-7878. And let's just you know, uh, also get a chance to answer our question that we're asking. You probably know what we think about the answer is, you know, should the child be told their uh, parents' uh, name if they're adopted or, you know, give them all the information about their parents, which is really, which we which we believe is the right way, but it'll be interesting to know what you think as well in our poll on Instagram. So what I'd like to do is talk to our, our first guest who's been waiting to speak to us, who has got some amazing experience in this and is a, is a, an advocate for adoptees and an author and a singer and has been championing this so much for many many years it's great to be able to talk to Zara Phillips and thank you Zara for joining us on the Drive Time show today distant at the moment Zara are you still with us I know I'm still with you but I don't know why I'm losing the connection oh okay can well you hear me? yes I can yeah we can hear you now that's okay, fantastic uh, awesome Zara good. We, we'll, we'll work uh, as best we can to keep that connection going so I really mm-hmm. thank you very much for joining us uh, today uh, on this very important subject that we wanted to talk about today. Thanks for your time. Well, thank you. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about um, what you, you've you been up to and what you can tell us about your kind of book that you've written. And you do say that Somebody's Daughter is a one-woman's show based on Zara Phillips' book, of the same life so really interested yes. to know a little bit about that as well yes so basically i am an adoptee that was adopted in the 60s with the closed records meaning that i had no information about my birth family at all yeah and um adopted parents were told back in the day you know just love your child as it is and, and there was no counseling no real understanding of the level of grief and loss that is really connected with adoption because adoption starts from loss. Yeah. 
Hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of people focus on the joy of the adopted parents, but the babies really come from loss of, of their parents, their biological family. And I struggled a lot as a child. As I got older, I began to explore more what that meant to me. Adoptees, we have a lot of loyalty issues towards our adopted parents, especially adopted parents that feel can feel threatened by us searching. Yeah. And you know, when an adoptee searches, it doesn't mean we don't love our adopted parents any less. It's just trying to find out more about ourselves. Yeah. So I, I've done a lot of work within the adoption community, a lot of self-exploration, and I uh, wrote a book about my experience. I've written songs. I suppose it's been my way of trying to make sense of something that was very challenging for me. And from my book, I, um, I had done a one-woman show a few years ago, and then I decided that the story wasn't told because I ended up meeting my birth father just a few years ago in my 50s. I met my birth mother in my 20s. And I wanted to share more of that experience of what it's like mm. to show the lifelong impact of being adopted. It's not just a one-time event that happens. Um, so I'm doing my play at the Camden Fringe Festival yeah. um, upstairs at the gate August 20th and 21st. Well, that's a great shout out for that. I'm sure our listeners uh, will. Thank you. <laughs> will will <laughs> love to take part, uh, um, and not only that, take part in in the audience and and, and watch it as well. So uh, that, that's love excellent. Um, I really under, I really like the way you explained that actually this comes from loss and it's filling that mm-hmm. gap. And this is the kind of um, subject that we've been talking about in in since the beginning of the show about mm-hmm. how you can mitigate against that loss to, to make it easier for the child as they grow up to understand where they've come from. And, and this, as, this concept of loyalty that you mentioned was is, is really interesting to me is that as an adoptee, you feel more loyal than love. Is, is that what you felt but, but in that relationship? Well, I think love is a confusing word for adoptees because Mm. many of us are told your mother loved you so much she gave you away. What does that mean about love? Um, And I think the loyalty really becomes a survival mechanism for the child because we know as little babies and as children, if our our mothers leave us, we're going to die. So we've already had the experience as babies. We've had the trauma of our mothers leaving us, whether they wanted to or not wanted to is kind of irrelevant the baby doesn't know that so the baby has lost its mother and babies need their mothers to to know they're going to live you know to be nourished so i think what happens to many adoptees is we're so afraid of that happening again Hmm. and we don't want to rock the boat i know i didn't and i've heard others say the same of i didn't want to create i didn't want to hurt my adopted mother i didn't want her to think I didn't appreciate what she had done. But, you know, something that I heard a while ago, and I love this phrase, adoption is the only trauma in the world where the person is expected to be grateful. You know, nobody else with any other trauma is told to feel grateful. Oh, your mother died. They'll say, I'm so sorry you lost your mother. That must have Mm. been hard. Mm. We don't get that, but it's the same feeling for a babe like the mother has died. So, um, you know, I always like to really look at and think about for families when they have children that are struggling, 
is a lot of this happened when there was cellular memory before there were words. So a lot of time adopted kids will act out, they'll have anger, they'll take drugs, you know, we're very overrepresented in all those fields. And and it's because there are no words to express the, the pain and the grief. People that don't like to talk about grief. I, I think it's very important. Yeah. And that's what is that what you do when you help with with this advocacy that you do with adoptees? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I talk a lot with adopted families, yeah. with the kids. And listen, not all adoptees are going to have the same experience. Sure. First of all, all adoptees have different adoptions. You can have the so-called great adoption with the really understanding parents, yeah. the adoption with parents that are not so... Um, you know, in tune with things. Yeah, oh, of but course, yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. Have, yeah, there's a lot of different, but we all started, we all know what it feels like for our mothers to relinquish us. Yeah. And that's the piece, and that's the piece that can stay in the cellular memory of the body, and this fear and the anxiety that can live within us, and you're like, why do I feel like this all the yeah. time? Oh, because... Yeah. And and how for you personally, when you made contact with your parents, did that kind of change the way you felt? Um, it definitely answered so many questions. I have siblings. I feel, especially with my father, his side was just fantastic. I mean, my birth mother too, but I, but I needed the whole piece for me. And I know now why, because I'm very connected to the siblings. I had a lovely relationship with him. He did not know I existed, and sadly he died only after a couple of years of me knowing him. But it changed something in me because I understood myself in a different way. I saw myself reflected. And, um, you know, I'm not saying it changes the still the feelings I have of anxiety or, you know, are people going to leave me? But I recognize those. I think you just learn to live with it. And you go, oh, hello, little adoptee me. You know, I'm an adult. I'm fine things like that but for me and not every adoptee can find you know international adoptees is very hard but I think we can find ways to connect to ourselves um, you know by going yep. to the country or parents can can connect them with other adoptees and you know there's lots of other ways of feeling connection right. um, got it uh, that's, that's really really helpful so I could want to just ask you a couple of questions around this uh, mm. as well because uh, it's just so interesting and fascinating the way you're bringing some insight into this mm. yeah uh-huh. uh, I mean um, when it comes to your parents um, uh, how do you feel about your birth parents and do you think your feelings might have been uh, different if you were uh, not in contact with them you mean my adopted my birth parents your I birth parents yes yes um well i had a lot of anger towards my birth mother to begin mm. with because i didn't understand why she could do this mm. but she was a teenager and i had to really learn to know her and understand that she wasn't supported um and then i could feel more compassion to her but you know i think children blame themselves for everything like we know that because kids yeah. are very self-absorbed mm. and i and so I thought there was something wrong with me. You know, it must be me, something wrong with me. So it took me a long time, and then I had my own children to really understand how the trauma was for her. Mm-hmm. She had no support. She was a teenager, shamed, and made to give me away. Mm. You know, that's traumatic. And birth mothers also grieve. 
and adoptive mothers grieve too for if they have infertility there's a mm. lot of grief in adoption yeah yeah there's a lot of grief as well um mm. i mean but yeah I, i hope you have a good relationship with your birth parents now i'm i'm not sure uh but when you when you realize that they had of course uh they were bound to do I have one this. parent left okay. I have my birth mother left my adoptive parents have passed and I miss them terribly and mm. know it wasn't perfect but I know they loved me mm. it was just complicated because mm. they didn't understand yeah and and how did you negative and build your relationship among the family members such as uh, your siblings uh, uncles or aunts you mean in my adoptive family or my birth family your um uh, your adopted family um well I, i had a difficult relationship with my adopted brother unfortunately he had a lot of issues around this issue and other things so mm. it was very challenging um and i've just really had to do the work on myself because i suppose what i learned and maybe we all learn as we get older that you know people don't always want to change and do the work so mm. i was the one i have to do it or i'll just end up complaining <laughs> that they're not doing it right yeah. um so i've had to do a lot of healing i've had to do a lot of grieving and a lot of acceptance yeah so, But, so know, yeah go ahead go ahead and i have wonderful mm. relationships with my siblings from my birth family yeah. um you know some i met in my 20s some i met in my 50s and it it's just absolutely fantastic yeah. honestly a lot of joy and my kids have met their kids and you know it's what it's really been a gift yeah. the re- reuniting yeah uh, zara how old were you when you moved away from your parents adopted you um how old was i yeah. i left home i think i went off traveling around 20 sort of back and forth and then left home yeah and and they were cool because at the end of the day when they obviously adopted you mm-hmm. they were filling their own void weren't they well my mom you know couldn't have children and she had miscarriages and yeah. and you know it was never talked about back then and she had a lot of grief and i think adopted mothers i heard one adopted mother be very honest and say when i adopted my baby i was still an infertile woman and wow that's powerful yeah And you know I think it's okay to be honest and say I wish I'd had my own child. Adoption for some people, mm. not everybody is second choice. Yeah. And we kind of know that too. I knew that first choice was my mother wanted to have her own baby. Yeah. yeah. Um but you know but it didn't again mean that she didn't love me. Mm. You know I knew she did too. Yeah. I I just want to before I let you go I just want to just talk about mm-hmm. this honesty aspect cuz Zakaria was mentioning it earlier at the top of the show how important it is to be honest and everything that the religion Islam talks about especially mm-hmm. when it comes to adoption is to be open and completely mm-hmm. honest and so much so by not even adopting the adopted parents name so the child stays with the name of their birth parents Do you think oh, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. But but unfortunately that's not the reality of adoption. Babies names get changed. No records get lost and sealed and and we can have a hard time finding our original names. I love the idea of openness and honesty because it's so much more beneficial for the child. Mm. 
You know, obviously, if there's abuse and things like that, you have to be very careful. Of course. But, you know, children, we can take it. The hardest thing is the secrecy. Yeah. The not knowing, living with the not knowing, mm. for me, was is way harder. Than, I'm not saying the reality of what I found was what I wanted, mm. but at least I knew it was the truth. Yeah. Interesting. I, r- thanks for that honest answer, because this is one of the most... Subject matters that we wanted to delve in a lot more detail and understand because this is one of the teachings that were shared when Islam came about. Because before Islam was in existence, especially when it came from in the the Arab world, Mm -hmm. they used to not just change the name, they sometimes wouldn't treat the children very well, and it was all kind of messed up until the teachings came through. So it's kind of good that you've kind of understood this aspect i mean would you be advocating this in your own kind of work that you do now oh gosh i've always advocated for openness i mean honestly i don't always agree with adoption because i feel like if you really want the child and the mother is young adopt the mother too why separate a baby from its mother it's a lifelong trauma for both baby and mother so my feeling is keep families together and give them support to stay. You know, a teenage girl's not a teenager forever. She grows up. Um, poor, poor yeah. families. You know, a lot of yeah. poverty. Babies are taken from poor families yeah. to give to rich families. I mean, yes, it doesn't mean their life is better just because they have money. Yeah, you know, because they're living with the void of missing their natural yeah. mother. So it's yeah. very layered. Very layered. But I love that you talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so fascinating. I love this idea that. Um, you know, we adopt the the mother as much as you can adopt the baby. That's fantastic. I mean, I really would like to you know, keep asking you hundreds of questions because, especially in the way you've been so honest with us, and and it really does help our listeners engage and understand and get some true insight into this subject of of adoption. Mm. So, Zara, really appreciate your time today, and the best of luck with all Thank the work you. that you're you're doing in in this adoption so much thank you thank you you're welcome thank you take care thank you we'll do another one we will do we you know that's the one of the beauties of voice of islam we we kind of touch on subjects that kind of the mainstream media don't always want to touch and Mm -hmm. we really yeah we really push these and we have get some great subjects and you know stay tuned we're talking about science and god in the the second hour so if you want to stay tuned to that that'd be great so if you want to (laughs) by all means do well thanks again zara thanks for your time so thank you You bye you're welcome bye bye that that was zara phillips who is an author singer and adoptee advocate and yeah you know just Grab her book, read it, and go to a show as well. So mm. you mentioned it earlier. Yeah, great show. a great show, actually. Mm. Um, one thing that um, Zara mentioned is about uh, adopting the mother as yeah, well. Yeah, that's fascinating. Right? It's a fascinating uh, thought, and it's it's something that w- when I just heard this, in fact, sometimes mothers, right, they need to be adopted as well, right? But then the when you look at the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the 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 marriages that he did you know it, it was except from one or two right rest of them were widows or or or, or mothers with the children right so in the, the the marriage that he did automatically is adopting the children and the mother as well so he 
1400 years ago taught us this lesson that if you see someone who's in need right a mother with children and they need uh, uh, to be taken care of then you should uh, you know marry them so this is a sort of adoption uh in in one way you can you can say that um that the holy prophet peace and blessings of be upon him has taught us mm. i mean that's, that's that's a really good insight yeah. I, I i like that especially also when we talk about the relationship between children who have been adopted and with the siblings how best to kind of manage that process mm. as well because obviously with your own children there are differences and there are aspirations and they mm. make different choices in their life one might be better i don't know at uh, mathematics and science the other one might be really creative and wants to draw and read literature all the time yeah. but it doesn't mean you make the comparison right it means yeah. you allow them to excel in whatever they want to excel mm. but when you have the mix of an adopted child how then do you manage that relationship mm. yeah, that's a that's a i mean as long as you a blood relationship and then as long as you love your the, the the ones who are nearby right and you you adoption should happen whilst you know if you have your own children as well and, and you adopt someone then you can o- you should and only and only adopt someone if you know that you will be honest you will be equal to all the all the children yeah. otherwise you should not do that yeah i mean also what they talk about to make this process easy is that if you were to adopt and you had siblings and yeah. you should involve them right at the beginning yeah. as well so they can go give them the same process. rights yeah yeah and yeah and, and give them the same rights and give them the same opportunities yeah. um and and all of that actually just to help the relationship between the siblings hmm. and and obviously there is this whole concept which we're not talking about today is fostering as well. Yeah. So there are many parents who do fostering first and then they decide to adopt because they just feel build a, a relationship with their the children that they're fostering and then they decide to adopt them at the same time. So these are other things that you could do if you weren't too sure about adopting but you wanted to have children you wanted to give some love you could go through that process as well which is really important and and you're able to do it quite easily but when it comes to fostering yeah. um uh, you mean that you take care of them but no. there is no commitment yeah of, a, of having them as as your children as, as your child yes yeah. so, so you may have a situation where you have children who uh, either got into trouble or they're in an abusive uh, situation at home and they need to get away or and then they need to be in a safe environment mm. they can be placed with fostering parents for a certain amount of time that doesn't mean they're there indefinitely they're there until the child can have either a safe environment go somewhere else or they are old enough to go and look after themselves or you can have a transient time it's like a transient moment in one's life until mm. they might be ready for adoption but the adoption parents are not ready or there's been a breakdown so fostering is a really good process where you can but look after children don't, don't you think that let's say you you try to build that connection but, but through fostering yeah uh the, the children could be hurt as well because they have if they for example in a um a place uh, what's a, what's the word called it um 
where in orphans yeah. uh, orphanage right yeah. so if you go to an orphanage and there is this system of uh, fostering you go there and you meet the yeah. the children right and you pick someone for example yeah. and and you start building a connection Got you it, yeah. meet them so, regularly so fostering isn't like that okay fostering isn't you go and pick a child right how how does it work so it comes from so for example it come from a local authority that yeah. has say each local authority will have children that it's aware of mm. that are that it looks after itself so there'll be looked after children that has anything from on a 100 200 300 depending on the local authority right and those children can either be in a fostering home where yeah. they're keeping an eye on them making sure their education is okay right because they there is no relationship they've left home run away from home mm. or they they became homeless for various reasons mm. their parents passed away and there were no other people who could look after them so okay it's it's a different form so there are families that will look after these children mm. at their own home and they will receive an allowance from the local authority to be able to do that but with the provision that they're in a safe environment the council have access and they try may able to keep siblings together as well so is it is it as an age limit is there a certain age when they yeah. uh, uh you know for example reach that age then yeah. then they have to by law you can leave home by the age of 18 anyway yeah. you know there's lots of things you're out of the system by then but you may not have anywhere to go but the fostering may not be available but you're mm. still looked after by the local authority they will take care of your education they may even take care of your university and then go and help you get a job afterwards <clears throat> and some local authorities even still to keep an eye on you and help you to find your next step to find a home yeah that's the fostering that's to take care of whereas mm. adoption in a way is like your own child there's yeah. no you're taking on the expenses mm. you're filling a void that we spoke about and that process is a completely different but that's a different parents way, yeah. who sometimes do foster feel the need that they want to adopt as well adopt afterwards yeah. when they think that okay i have built a connection and i don't yes. I, i don't want them to you know yeah, yeah. you know everyone's different there's yeah. no hard and fast rule hmm. in any i mean both ways it's 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 a beautiful yeah. uh, you know thing to do actually yeah. and the way you said um when you build that connection and you know that okay they're compatible they or they can stay with us mm. then you adopt them eventually it's a very uh, very good very good thing yeah actually a very uh, good thing to do and, and especially also with when you're looking at adoption and and you're fostering adoption when you take on the child obviously you can even teach them your faith as well if you wanted to because when you adopt you sometimes want to have a child that's from a say if you were a, a Hindu family wanting to adopt a child you would want a child that's from the Hindu faith or the Hindu yeah. community same with a Sikh same with a with a Muslim because you want to keep the same traditions same yeah. uh, religion and all these things hmm. but you could have a situation where you're unable to find a suitable match from your own religion mm. but it doesn't mean in that way you have a Sikh child you teach them only Islam you know you have to you know you Islam wouldn't even allow you to do that yeah, right because Islam says uh, there's no compulsion in religion right yeah. i mean i've seen few documentaries where you know muslim parents they've been fostering um children who were from a different background or yeah. different religion and of course those parents they of course they did not enforce the religion or they did not force them to follow it they just you know if the children they think that this is the right thing 
are or I am attracted to that specific religion, then they will follow it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's a wonderful thing to do, um, and and I think uh, you know we can see that fostering and adoption is uh, clearly something which is permitted in Islam, and and we can also see. Uh, that the way in which we deal with our foster relationships and how we treat them should be such uh, that they do not feel um, as they uh, if they are from a different family, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. And, sure. And and of course, uh, and and there are many hadiths and, and the examples of the Holy Prophet and the Holy Quran as well, where it is you know motivated for Muslims to foster and also to adopt children. And. From our conversation today, it's clearly permitted in Islam that we sh- can also see a way that we should foster as well. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, it's 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 a teaching of um, of Islam, and of course, we bring out the teachings of Islam, what Islam says about this, and I believe that whoever is um, able to um, you know, adopt or to foster, they should definitely do it because there is so much blessings in this. So, um, and 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 I hope you have enjoyed our show. The next hour, we will be discussing a different topic, a very interesting one, in fact, which is scientists and and how God guides them. So, uh, this is something that we will be discussing next hour, and uh, before that, we will have the news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back and thank you very much for staying with us and enjoying your company with me and Zakaria. Thank you. And as always, you can get in touch with us on 0208-7878 and get involved via our social media platforms. And our handle is always voice of islam uk and so we've been had a fascinating subject in the first hour about adoption and some great insight and it was lovely to talk to our guest zara phillips but now we're talking another subject today and that is the relationship of scientists and god and can we uh, exist or can religion exist with science can they both coexist that's the kind of question we want to delve in today and i'm sure you've all got an opinion on this and you probably want to get involved with that so you know get in touch give us a call on 0208-7878 and reach out to us on our social media platforms as well and our handle is always voice of islam uk so since the dawn of mankind i mean this famous debate over can religion and science coexist and it's been going on ever since i can remember and i'm sure Zakaria, it's probably been the same for you hmm. and as a as a missionary someone who's dedicated their life to religion and you must be asked this question all the time 
because many people kind of believe or scientists believe that the God was there and we now discovered all the science. We know what we're doing and it's an outdated belief and it kind of served the ancient superstitions. You kind of must have heard all this before. Yeah. Being someone who dedicated life to serving for religion, <clears throat> you must think that, no, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, if you, because we believe in, in, uh, in Islam and, and we have a book from God Almighty, which if you compare to any religious books, even uh, historians, non-Muslim historians, when, when they study the Holy Quran, right? They, they they admit and they say that this is the only scripture that has not changed since it was revealed. You know, it's mm. 1400 years ago in exactly the same way. And if you look at the signs 1400 years ago, what invention that they had and, and, and compared to now, I mean, it's, it's yeah. crazy. Mm. And 1400 years ago, the Quran, the prophecy that God Almighty has said in the in that book through a prophet that you know was um, you know illiterate, but also the most knowledgeable person on earth. The knowledge that God has given to Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah upon him is everything, and that's mm. the Quran. Right? Yeah. That's the Holy Quran. The reason I'm saying this is. Because 1400 years ago, and we'll be discussing about a lot of prophecies that have been fulfilled, mm. right? Which never ever, no one could actually ever think of these things to be, you know, invented in, you know, after 1400 so, years. So, so the question I have for you yeah. is that I, I said that, and I don't believe this obviously, that scientists kind of believe that God is an outdated belief. Yeah. And. He's only there to serve an ancient superstitions. Yeah. But actually, the Holy Quran gives us a completely different outlook, doesn't it? Yeah, it it, it stresses the importance of yeah. and, and invites people to reflect on his creation. And um, through these, this, you know, people discover him through it because the author of the Holy Quran uh, is the author of uh, the universe. Right. So, if we accept that, that everything we want to know, everything we want to learn about, everything yeah. we want to discover, yeah. you might as well, as the phrase goes, hear it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. Right? yeah. So this is effectively what we're saying. Hmm. Although the scientists discover things, yeah. but actually, God is allowing them to discover them. Exactly. But if you pursue it through the Quran, which is a universal religion for the whole of mankind and for all the religions and all the worlds uh, in our universe then get the understanding from that that's the islamic's perspective not the scientific perspective yeah exactly yeah. exactly for example in the holy quran god says that can they not look up to the clouds how they are created and to the heavens how it is upraised and the mountains how they are rooted and to the earth how it is outspread yeah. And another place in the Holy Quran, Allah says that uh, verily in the creation of the heavens and of the earth and in the alternation of the night and the day are there signs of men to understand. Right. So in every point, right, there is something, you know, scientists can ponder and learn from. Got it. 
So that's what we're going to be talking about yeah. in today's show. This this concept about um, the scientists' outlook, those who do not believe in God or religion, mm. and the scientists' perspective that actually do believe in God's existence mm. and through the teachings of the Quran, they kind of work it out. Yeah. Because So that that's what we're going to be talking about today. And we've got two amazing guests with us today that we want to talk about, but who will be joining us, both Naya Ahmed, who's doing the... PhD in immunology and works as a technical consultant for clinical and molecular diagnostics in the laboratory. And we're also going to be talking to Mustafa Siddiqui, who's a missionary and who is currently serving in the UK and is an international translation in in the research department. So all these guys will be able to give us some real good insight into this subject. So there are these trends of beliefs, aren't they, Zakaria, within the scientists globally. Yeah. And when you look at them, the common assumption is that the majority of scientists are atheists. But actually, when you delve into it a little bit more, the worldwide survey of religions and science conducted by Rice University in 2015, and that's nearly 10 years ago, right, reveals something very different, doesn't yeah. it? It actually found that more than half of scientists yeah. in India, in Italy, Taiwan, and Turkey self-identify as religious. So that means a scientist, and when we're talking about scientists, these are people who are discovering new things yep. and developing new concepts and changing the way we feel, think, do everything, exactly. are actually saying that they believe in God and it's not about their own personal discoveries hmm. exactly hmm. exactly what's the, stri- the, the uh, what's striking is that as compared to the general population the scientific community in the region has less people in them that are atheists hmm. for example in the general population of Hong Kong 55% are atheists compared with the scientific community in the region with only 26% in the UK which is one of the most secular countries studied it is found that only 32% of scientists thought that religion and science are in conflict, whilst in the US this number was only 29%. Now, we learn the science from the Holy Quran as well, but when we study it, when we compare it with the, uh, the uh, when we compare the Holy Quran with science, it goes in a hand to hand it's it's it, it's supposed the science so it when you were when you were studying when you were becoming a missionary yeah and you did all your six ten years of study whatever it is it because it can be quite long but it's very intense did you always did you under did you look at this subject as well the, the relationship between science and what the grant says yes mm. yes not always always we focus on the translation because yeah. when it comes to uh you know that those who read the Quran, we focus on reading the Quran in Arabic because mm. this was the the language which God Almighty revealed the Holy Quran. But more important, it is for us to understand what God is saying. So when we learn the translation, we try to learn what God is trying to tell to us. Of course, to learn it more easier, you have to look at the background, what God yeah. is trying to say, to link it as well. So, yes, we did learn it with, with understanding. We tried to understand what God is saying with, with not just translation, but also with the commentary. Because, yeah. uh, you know, if you take everything literal, 
um, then you know of course you will come to uh, a different conclusions. Yeah. So because this is a book, not just for the you know something which was a a book of history as well, but it tells you um, things that you can learn now, but also uh, things of the future. Yeah. I, I guess it's also about it's urging you to reflect on the laws of nature hmm. because everything that science has taught us and brought us yeah it doesn't deviate from the laws of nature exactly right everything happens and everything we discover yeah is within those refines of of the laws of nature mm -hmm. you can't do anything different everything has to happen within that and especially we'll get into a little bit more detail but these will be for examples from cosmology physics biology and medicine and these are the things I guess we need to understand more about yeah. and, and, and reflect on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. A blog posted on Rational Religion website by the topic Nine Scientific Miracles of the Holy Quran and written by one of the editor, Mr. Omar Nasir, he mentions an interesting fact. He says that God, knowing that atheist scientists in this age would lead people astray, revealed verses that... Uh, detailed major scientific phenomena from the tongue of the prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be upon him an illiterate man in the Arabian wilderness came descriptions of natural phenomena that have only now been confirmed and there are many scientific discoveries mentioned in the Holy Quran that the modern world has only now gotten to realize whereas the Holy Quran had mentioned them 1400 years ago as you know as uh, we were discussing earlier References to the blog, we will explore only, you know, few of the miracles nature because mentioning all of the prophecies is something which is not possible, of course. But some very interesting prophecies that um, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, did 1400 years, years ago, which is fulfilled and which something which, you know, the people of that time never could have imagined. Mm. So these um, there are some that we will um, discuss today, uh, God willing. So, there, uh, and, and as we discuss them, we're going to be looking at this blog post, aren't we? Yep. Um, on the Rationale Religions website by uh, a topic, Nine Scientific Miracles of the Holy Quran. And it was written by one of the editor, Mr. Umar Nasir. And he mentions an interesting fact, and he says that God, knowing that atheist scientists in this age would lead people astray, revealed verses that detail major scientific phenomena, which you were mentioning earlier. Um, and then from also from the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings be upon him, and which you mentioned earlier, that he was an illiterate man. That's the key thing, right? Yeah. That, that everything he knew was revealed to him. To him so yeah. so let, let, let's go through this, because I wanted to ask you about the cosmology and about the Big Bang Theory. I first learned about this from readings of our fourth Khalifa, Hazrat Mr. Dalai may Allah be pleased with him, mm. who spoke about this concept of the Big Bang Theory. And I found it really interesting and how it all come from some from Big Bang and time is moving. And then it all eventually, at some point, come mm. to an end. But mm. obviously not in our lifetime. It's going to be billions of years yet. But but it's really interesting that how the cosmology and his Big Bang theory um, is is mentioned in the Holy Quran as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, uh, 
the earlier scientists thought that the universe had always existed and so does and you know doesn't need a creator however albert einstein's field equations changed it all it suggested that the universe was expanding and so it must have come from an uh, initial uh, dense point i uh, in other words uh, the idea of a big bang so again you know science has proven uh, early scientists they thought something and then science proves it uh, you know different that it has been created yeah. it is the big bang has happened and there there was a start and that start as muslims we believe this is from god almighty which is mentioned in the holy quran which says do not um the disbelievers see that the heavens and the earth were a close up mass and the word ratkan is used here then we open them out and we made from water every living thing will they not then uh, believe this is from chapter 21 in the holy quran first number 31 explaining this verse the the blog uh, of religion they mentions that the arabic word ratkan means closed up mass it also means darkness a dark closed up mass is a perfect description of what we know the universe looked like in the earliest moments the verse further says that water is the basis of life this is now an acceptable scientific facts of course when when nasa is looking for uh, a planet where we can live yeah. the first thing that they were looking is for water if there is water then we can live so this is something that the quran already mentioned 1400 years ago so you know we can already see that god has made the scientific discoveries of the modern age a way of finding him rather than a way of losing him yeah and and the shocking power of this verse is a grand sign for our disbelieving age and the interesting fact is all these prophecies that we will be all these theories all these uh, inventions the these are let's say most of them are invented or discovered by uh, atheist scientists right and and they are actually you know, supporting the truthfulness of 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 uh, of Islam of the holy quran well uh, yeah just before we speak with they am the sad fact is is that it is the scientists of the age yes. which are leading the way in future development and changing the way we're living mm. they are pioneering in this when we look at the golden age of islam they were that group of scientists that were leading the way yeah. now it's changed it's happening there but it doesn't change the fact that many of the things we're discovering today were spoken about or told or revealed through the holy book exactly 1400 years ago 400 so years ago. it doesn't matter if it's at the muslim golden age or if it's the scientists of today but actually the 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 message is still the same yeah. so right on, on that when we talk about scientists we have a wonderful scientist who is joining us to, today as well we have naya amat he he has a phd in immunology and works as a technical consultant for a clinical 
and Molecular Diagnostics Laboratories. And it's great to have Naya with us. Uh, welcome to the Drive Time Show. Uh, uh, no, thank you very much for joining us today. We went into a black hole just for that moment <laughs> there. So kind of <laughs> makes it's a nice little apt into our conversation. I found, a nice my, I found my exit right in time. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> That's really good. Really appreciate that. So look, as a scientist yourself, what role has your religion played into your career development and success? This is a very interesting question. I've been asked this question several times before. You know, we, you know, the the field that I'm working in, whether you talk about science and whatnot, I have seen people from all walks of life, and they certainly have a very natural drive to, you know, pursue science and pursue research and, you know, really go into the nitty-gritty of things. But my own pursuit has definitely been influenced by the religion that I follow, which is Islam. Uh, Islam from its, you know, very humble beginnings. I mean, if you go right back at, you know, the first revelation that was revealed on Prophet Muhammad was about education, you know, read, read in the name of thy Lord. So Islam is a very fundamentally speaking, it's a religion that really, you know, has its inception in education, in reading, in you know, it, it's a very philosophical religion in that in that sense. Now, that being said, you know, the one thing that I want to very, uh, you, know, you know, elaborate for, for the listeners today is that the, the Quran, you know, uh, uh, more often than not, we see that Quran is, is being, you know, synonymously used with, you know, a book that is very violent. You know, it's completely ludicrous to even say that yeah, because, right. you know, Quran is a, is, is a book which has in excess of 700 verses, uh, which is more than 10% of the Quran that 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 implores its re- its readers to to ponder over nature to ponder over the creation of God and so you know time and again you will come across verses and chapters in the holy Quran that really you know uh, they they're so thought provoking yeah. and it it shows you so much empirical value uh, of the Quran itself and so there is no way that you can you can you know you can be a Muslim and say that I'm not inspired by my religion to do research. And then you know, of course, if you look at the centuries uh, followed uh, after the device demise of Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him, uh, you know you, you can see how the Islamic Golden Age took birth. And a lot of those those scientists uh, they were scholars and they were scholars of faith, mm-hmm. and they used the Quran to basically build upon that that empirical uh, scientific empire that they were able to build. Thank you, Jazakallah. Yeah, no, that's excellent, and I really appreciate that. And that was the kind of what I was saying earlier, just before you came on, is that, but today, the West are pioneering the new sites, the new developments, the new, the new ways of working, and what we do today, both in technology, science, and that used to be the case, you're right, in the golden age, but we lost that. Uh, from the Islamic world but obviously the teachings are exactly the same 1400 years ago it's whoever delves into that but now and Zuckerberg said earlier is that the West are now themselves proving what was said in the Quran so my question to you is that it is always assumed that science and religion operate within their own special well-defined spheres that don't overlap do you think that is the case? No, absolutely not. I think this is basically, you know, the consequence of having a very secular form of education in which 
they have predefined or well-defined spheres of religion and science. This is a very erroneous assumption. I'm just going to start off by saying that, and I know I'm being a little bit blunt here, but, you know, the, 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 you know, the ministers of religion and church, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about the West here. So their authorities have made, you know, constant efforts uh, to win back religion in in one way or the other, and now they're they're even doing that right now. I mean, uh, you, you know, the Pope, you know, you will find him, you know, trying to, uh, you know, link science with religion or link uh, or, or find some kind of link in the past uh, by you know the, whereby they can they can prove that you know church or or religion is consistent with the teaching of science. But Islam is a religion that from day one has been consistent with the teachings of science. Hmm. And that is the beauty of this religion. So, uh, you know, the principal source of guidance, the, the principal source of moral and spiritual fears, and the principal source of empirical derivations actually stem from religion itself. You know, as an example, you know, if you, lo- if you look at the efficacy of prayer, uh, you know, the efficacy of prayer is something which is very scientific in its, uh, in its roots. And, and a lot of times you will come across people, you know, belonging to the Islamic faith or some other faith where, you know, where they prayed and their prayers were answered. And so these are, these are obviously personal, you know, some people might, 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 you know, deem them personal anecdotes. But to me, those are, you know, very, their efficacy is basically showing me that there is some link uh, between, you know, scientific thought and religion itself. So... Mm. Let's look at the attitude of Islam, you know, towards this problem. Uh, you know, not on the intellect always been, you know, not all intellect has always been free. You know, Islam has definitely insisted the application of reason and intellect from it, from the get-go. Uh, you know, the first revelation that came, and I've mentioned that in my first answer, that the first revelation that came to Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was recite in the name of your Lord. Mm-hmm. Recite, and the Lord is most generous, who taught men by the pen, taught man what he knew not. There is at every step in the Qur'an, and if you go over the Qur'an, and if you go over the Qur'an without any malice in your heart, you know, you will come across these exhortations, you know, and the exercise of reason and judgment that have been given out in in, in the Qur'an. Hmm. Uh, You know, people are constantly invited to reflect and to ponder and to understand. Uh, Let me go over this one verse of the Holy Qur'an from chapter 2. Uh, he grant wisdom to whom he pleases, and whoever is granted wisdom has indeed been granted abundant good, and none would be reminded except those endowed with understanding. One of my favorite verses of the Holy Quran, uh, you know, it, it basically asks you to, to, or implores you to ponder while you're sitting, while you're in, in a posture of lying down, while, while you're walking, while you're doing your daily chores. And those, that, that verse really is, is something very fundamental that, that religion and um, uh, as science uh, are not in a conflict as far as Islamic teachings go. Mm. They are indeed both go hand in glove. And, and, and Naya, j- just before Zakari comes in, exactly what you just said there, yeah. that moment of reflection about, say, you're sitting on the beach and you're seeing the sun set and you're reflecting on the beauty of it or you're listening to the birds chirp in the morning and the way they sing beautifully... Is that also a way of developing your closeness and your love for God Almighty as well? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, God has created all of these things uh, for us to 
understand or, or have a greater understanding of how God creates things. Now, let me give you an example of that, right? Uh, you know, there, were, there are stories of, uh, you know, the son of Adams, uh, who basically, you know, one of the brothers killed the other one. And this is, a very, this is a very common story amongst all the great religions in the world. You have Christianity, Judaism, and, and Islam. Mm. And uh, one of the crow, uh, well, the brother did not know what to do with, uh, uh, with the dead body of his own brother. And so in that scenario, he was shown a crow. And the crow was basically digging the earth and trying to bury another and another dead bird. So this was this is something you know. You, if you really think about it, rationality is not something which is innate uh, to human nature. Love, kindness, these are innate uh, instincts. But rationality definitely is developed, and that there are only two sources of that. That you know, Allah Taala shows us that. Sorry, sorry. There's only one source of that, and that is God Almighty Himself. He actually teaches you those things, but. There are ways to actually show those things to you. And so the, 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 the things that God has created, uh, let me give you an example, another example of the changing seasons. You know, you see the autumn season where all the leaves are, are, are you know, they, they basically are dried up and they fall from the trees. And then you can see the life coming back to all those trees, to those dead trees during the summer or the spring season. These are all you know, uh, th- th- these are all analogies that the Quran or the God has basically uh, uh, shown us that these are the type of cycles that even you go through as far as your spiritual conditions are concerned. Hmm. So there's a lot of things that we can definitely learn from nature itself. And of course, the source of that nature is God Almighty Himself, that He has created those things so that we can ponder over them, we can look at them and learn our lessons from them. Mm-hmm. Jazakallah. Thank you. Um, Lastly, I would like to ask you about the the Muslim world. Um, if you look at the current Muslim world, um, they're behind in scientific discoveries. Um, uh, what do you think uh, needs to be done to revive uh, the Muslim world in this field? There's there's a lot that that needs to be done. It's uh, you know the most important thing is leadership, in my opinion. Uh, mm. The leadership plays a great role. Uh, when it comes to scientific discoveries and, you know, basically raising an entire generation of people who are scientifically driven and they, you know, ponder over uh, scientific concepts. Unfortunately, what we're seeing around the Islamic world is that leaders uh, have unfortunately, you know, fallen prey to politics, to really dirty politics. It's all about money, control, land and glory. And so none of the leaders are really truly reflecting on this aspect uh, of, uh, of scientific thought in the Islamic world. Uh, then secondly, I, I believe that the opportunities uh, that have been created uh, by the West, uh, you know, for, for scientific research are really robust. And, and what really happens in the Islamic world is brain drain. Mm. And so a lot of the talent that is, you know, produced by the Islamic world unfortunately ends up going to or traveling to Western worlds to pursue, uh, you know, their, their, you know, scientific quests or whatever thirst they have for science. And so this, this, this brain drain needs to be stopped. But in order for that to happen, huge, huge amounts of money and huge amounts of, of monetary, uh, you know, deployment needs to take place in these countries where, you know, research centers can be built and, you know, a free scientific thought uh, can be given, you know, a way to progress and a way to, 
really, uh, you know, proceed. Yeah. Uh, well, the, 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 the reality is, uh, brothers, let me, let me end by saying that, you know, free thought or free scientific thought is a hallmark of a civil society. And if you don't have that in your society and with all the, you know, the, 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 the religious strife that is going on right now and the wars that are uh, taking place right now, uh, unfortunately, I don't see that happening in the, unforeseeable, uh, the, the foreseeable future anytime soon unless there's a very big regime change and uh, they come towards leadership. Uh, and, and, and let me also add this, that there is a leadership present in the world at this time. That leadership is in the shape and form of the Khilafat of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Our Khalifa, uh, our Khalifa, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, uh, may Allah be his helper, he implores his community members to excel in education and also pursuing scientific uh, thought. Uh, he himself uh, was a scientist at some point, uh, uh, you know, a few years ago, a few decades ago, and he did some really, uh, you know, marvelous work, uh, tremendous work with uh, uh, with with uh, agriculture. Jazakallah. Yeah. No, no, thank you very much uh, for that, Nayad. It's been really fascinating to speak to you, especially this conversation about why is it in Islamic world that they have moved away from science and, and that new technology when the West is now taking over. You know, you, you touched on it in, in that because of the way the West is with the politics, the money, the pursuit, you know, nothing, no drug is left, let um, released in, in the in the world to buy unless the people who developed it make the money. I mean, there's a whole concept of uh, patents, etc. that take place. But actually that kind of negates what Islam is always on about, you know, for non-for-profit to serve mankind and I think they probably have lost their way in their understanding of that whereas you mentioned about our beloved Khalifa Hazim Masulam and my Labiya's helper to change that mindset to show the true leadership to actually say no actually Islam is the religion uh, through the teachings of the Holy Quran for the whole of mankind to find new ways of doing things because everything is in there so go and find it, ponder, reflect, and change it. So I really like what you said. It really found it interesting. I'm sure our listeners would have found it very inspiring today. Thank you very much for your time today, Nayar. Jazakallah. Thank you so much for having me once again. Yeah, you're most welcome. So Zakli, I wanted to just reflect a little bit further with you then on that. Is it, Like I said, you, you're a person who has studied to become a dedicated person for all your life to serve mankind and are a murabi, uh, a person who is now studied the religion Islam and now serves the community and especially teaches religion as its core. This is still something that you would also reflect on and, and, and guide the community members about this, this, this concept of becoming scientists. Yeah, I mean... Uh, it, this is like like uh, Naya Sab said as well, mm. right? The thing that he mentioned is the first verse that was revealed through the Holy Prophet was Ikra, which means read. And and then if you look at the uh, the life of the Holy uh, Prophet as well, and and other uh, other sayings of the Holy Prophet as well, where he says that even if you have to travel to China to gain knowledge, right, then you should do so. Why? The reason behind that is because if you have to make the effort to travel as far as China, because China was far from from uh, from uh, Saudi Arabia, right? You should do so. So every effort should be made to 
um, you know, work on your science and learn about the world. The reason behind that is because the more you will learn, right, the more you will find out the wonders of 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 uh, the nature that God Almighty has created us. And of course, like we discussed earlier as well, the science, right, is a support of the truthfulness of uh, the Quran as well. The science, the, the, the prophecy that is made are actually all um, you know, fulfilling through the science as well. Great. Th- thanks for that. And then it's really, just, just before we speak to Mustafa Siddiqui, who is holding on, on as our guest to speak to, there was one thing I wanted to touch on very briefly is about the embryology as well. That's another, where we talk about the Big Bang Theory, also about the embryology side of things, which is, again, such an amazing concept and teaching in the Quran that before the teaching was revealed, you had at that moment the most advanced embryological knowledge before the advent of our beloved Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, belong to the Greek doctor Galen, who at that time had incorrectly had the notion about the origins of semen and the development of the embryo. But in contrast, the Quran actually accurately depicted the sequence and now today with the modern observation has basically corroborated those words we'll go into a little bit more detail i don't want to keep our guests on hold for a lot longer but we'll read them afterwards <coughs> maybe we can even ask our guest as well uh, mustafa Siddiqui, who is a missionary at the ahmadi muslim community uk and is currently serving in the international translation and research department and mustafa thank you very much uh, for joining us on this very fascinating subject i just did ask about the embryology we spoke about the big bang theory and obviously we'll be mentioning about the end of the universe but i wanted to ask you as well about this concept and this discussion we're having you know do you think the scientists can advance further in their research and experiments by reading the holy quran and then can it benefit them thanks for having me first of all it's always a pleasure to be on. thank you very much the quran speaks about um the importance of reflection on the creations of the heavens and the earth in in a number of places. Um, one of the most prominent places is the end of Surah Al-Imran, where God says um, that um, in the creations of the heavens and the earth and in the alternation of night and day are signs of people who are understanding those who remember Allah while sitting, sta- standing, sitting, lying on their sides and ponder over the creations of the heavens and the earth. And this is also reflected uh, in the same concept, similar concept as mentioned at the beginning of Surah Al-Mulk, where God says that no matter how hard you try to find any kind of incongruency or inconsistency in the creation of God and in the creation of the world, you won't. And that we, we're invited as believers to reflect upon these things because that leads you to the conclusion that there is a creator of this world and its its beauty and its the system of its organization can't have come up come about by by accident or by pure scientific naturalism, as we're told more and more in the world today. Mm. And so the Quran, of course, is the word of God. And the, wor- the world is, is the work of God. And so there cannot be any contradiction between the word and the work of God. Mm. I agree. And, so for, and, and specifically about your question about how they can advance in their... Uh, you mentioned embryology. 
Another example is, for, is, is um, a verse in Surah Al-Zariyat which says that God says that he built the heaven with his own hands and we go on ex- expanding it. Now obviously at the time to go and go into expanding the God saying that I, I continue to expand the universe won't have meant at that time what it means now with the development of science where you have redshift and blueshift and we know that the fact that the universe since its very inception has been expanding and continues to expand. That, for example, wouldn't have been known at that time as it's known with science now. And so obviously if there were things that people, that we know now about the truths of the Holy Quran that weren't known now, there'll be more as time goes on. And these secrets can be discovered by reading the Holy Quran. Hmm. Thank you. Um, His Holiness uh, Mirza Masood Ahmed, the current Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has given the mission for Ahmadis um, to lead the next Islamic golden age of science. So why is it so important for Islam to be at the forefront of science? The Quran again is, uh, and, and as well as the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, are full of examples, full of quotes about the importance of seeking knowledge. Mm-hmm. Because knowledge, of course, is how you learn and how you develop as a person. And of course, the ultimate fountainhead of knowledge is God. And the ultimate purpose of knowledge on this earth is to discover, as as I was as we mentioned in the show, and as I said in the answer to my previous question, the ultimate purpose of knowledge is to discover the existence of God and to understand our purpose and why we're here. And so, with every religion teaching that God is the creator of the world, Islam being the ultimate and final teaching, mm-hmm religious teaching for the world means that via Islam should show us the way how to, Islam teaches that, it's only Islam and religion that teaches us that the world has value. If it mm. wasn't for religion, then nothing actually has any meaning. But Islam teach, teaches us that this world isn't just a coincidence, nor is it an accident, it has meaning and it has a purpose. Mm-hmm. And so therefore it's, it's, it's Islam and it's the Muslims who should be the very forefront of making these scientific discoveries and teaching us more about this world that we have and therefore enabling us to be appreciative of the the blessings that God has given us. Hmm. Thank you for your answer. Now, uh, lastly, um, uh, Brother Hanif might have uh, another question as well. Um, But before that, I have another question, which is uh, um, how can we reconcile religious elements such as the concept of soul or revelation with science? Uh, is there any scientific proof of, uh, for them? What's important to understand is two separate parts, two separate elements to this question here, is that the idea of miracles. Miracles themselves are, are what miracles are, aren't something that will contradict the known laws of science, because those known laws of science were created by God. Mm. And so it wouldn't be for someone, it says in Holy Quran, that God says that you'll never find in the creation of Allah any variance or any inconsistency. So when God makes miracles happen it's not what you know like many muslims and christians or peoples of other faith imagine where it's a, you break the laws of science and you have like a person standing in the sky <laughs> for years and coming down because this isn't how god has created people what mm. miracles are are things that happen within the realms of logic and science but that are so extraordinary in their happening that they can't be explained by coincidence mm. So, revel- so, so um, miracles aren't, aren't illogical things, but they are extremely special mm. by, the co- by the coincidence of a, num- of a number of unlikely factors. And about the soul, the soul is like one of those things like the question of where is heaven or 
how can God exist forever because humans don't have a concept of what eternity is. And the Quran actually speaking of the soul directly addresses this topic when God says to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, they ask the concerning the soul, say the soul is by the command of my Lord and of the knowledge thereof you have been given but a little. Hmm. God itself says that there's only so much we can understand about the soul because the soul, its ultimate purpose is linked to the afterlife and the afterlife is something we can't with the senses that we've been given in this world, interact with or understand. Mm-hmm. So th- there's some things, like the, the being of God itself, what God looks like, where exactly God is, when exactly God was, and and, and the ideas of time and space, that there's not everything that we can understand being in this world. And because the soul doesn't directly, in a direct material sense, interact with our world, which is base, which is something which we we interact with using our five senses, some things there's only so much we can understand about. And nor is it that we should be so reliant on science that anything that science hasn't proved to this day should therefore be rejected out of hand like the soul. Because 200 years ago, science didn't science didn't know that there was protons and electrons and neutrons, but then it turns yeah. out later on yeah. that there actually are. Yeah, and we didn't know about DNA either and uh, all, all these. One thing I wanted to just try and understand a little bit more, uh, when we look at the Earth itself, and then we look at where it lives in terms of the universe and you understand the distance of the earth and to one end point of the universe is in the tectrillion light years whatever you want to call it Mm. how is it that when we talk about god almighty and how he's revealed the holy quran that he's able to be everywhere and he's able to talk to mankind and when you understand the vastness of the universe what is that because that's kind of a bit far-fetched when people say well there's miracles and there's not miracles and how can this all happen with nature is this nature or these (coughs) nature laws still part of the whole of the universe it's a good question it's um i know we've had recent imaging of the, the the far space I mean, not that I'm a scientist, but I wouldn't know. Beyond those, in, in these other galaxies and other places, I don't know to to what extent do the, the laws of nature we have that apply, to, how, to what extent do they apply here, that apply there, hmm. and what is what exists in the far beyond. But one thing is for sure that in Islam, th- th- there's a clear concept that there are other beings out there, and it's not just humans that exist in the entirety of the universe, but what their, what the nature of their creation is and what the nature of their worlds are. Um... Yeah, you don't know. Uh, yeah. Exactly, because right. that, that's the that's the point I was going to make. We have to understand and believe in faith as much as we need to understand and reflect and research and be scientists to understand further concepts that are in the Quran. Because also these other beings that you mention, they're probably also receiving revelations, right? from God Almighty about the way they should be and at some point in the distant future we may meet might be far-fetched but I imagine that could be the case right and we will have we'll be united by the teachings of what God has given them and what he's given us for us to have common ground it says in the first verse of Surah Al-Fatiha that God is uh, Lord of all the worlds and this is just one of them and the fact that we have a plural there means of course that it is not the only world that exists or has ever existed. Yeah. 
<clears throat> Fantastic. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. for your time today. Really Thank found it interesting. It's been really good. It's just time always catches up with us on, on this show. We never have enough time to delve into a lot more detail into what we want to talk about. We've just got a bit more stuff we just want to share with our listeners before we come to the end at the top of the show. But thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Zakla. Thank you. That was Mustafa Siddiqui, who's a missionary, an Ahmadi missionary Muslim community. Sorry, he's a missionary Ahmadi in the Ahmadi Muslim community UK. And he's currently serving in the International Translation and Research Department. It's been really great to be able to talk to him. And also, Zakli, we've had two fantastic guests that we've had. With Naya, who's studying a PhD in immunology and works uh, in a laboratory as a consultant. We have Mustafa Siddiqui, who's a dedicated, like you, a missionary, can understand the concepts. And I really like this idea about the soul, yeah. where the soul is connected to the life after and our physical body is connected here. But there has to be a scientific <clears throat> relationship between them because there are chemical reactions that are taking place in our body hmm. billions of times. Just look at the gut in our body hmm. and how when we eat, how that happens. But it must also then reflect, we talked about it on the show previously, what we eat makes the type of person we are. Yeah, right? exactly, yeah. I mean, it's, this is very obvious that whatever we eat, we are what we eat, actually. Um, we you were discussing, uh, you know, some of the prophecies um, uh, mentioned in the Holy Quran that are fulfilled in this day and age um, and and you mentioned about embryology right um and uh, i'm not sure if you've mentioned the uh, the, the first holy quran no then you can mention that yeah uh, so the the holy quran men- uh, says uh, in chapter 23 verse 13 to 15 uh, that verily we created man from an extract of clay then we placed him as a drop of sperm in a safe depository then we fashion the sperm into a cloth. Then we fashion the cloth into a shapeless lump. Then we fashioned bones out of this shapeless lump. Then we clothed, uh, we clothed the bones with flesh. Then we developed it into another creation. So blessed be Allah, the best of creation. Commenting on this first, the blog um, that we were discussing earlier mentions that the Arabic uses used in this verse uh, accurately depicts the detail and sequence of how we develop in the womb. The Quran describes how the conceptus is produced from a mixture of elements, how the um, uh, the early embryo clings into the ur- urine w- urine wall, how it then develops into a differentially formed lump before developing bony structures clothed with flesh. Finally, it describes the birth of the soul within the physical framework of the body. It's so clear, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's very clear. I mean, very detailed mention in the Holy Quran, which we see that it goes exactly, um, you know, with the with with science. It doesn't contradict. Yeah, and and this is the. Th- this is the leadership that's been shown by our beloved Khalifa, our, our current Caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmad Malabi's helper, to show true leadership in science, to actually show the beauties of the Holy Quran, which is there for the whole of mankind. It's not just because I'm a Muslim, I'm a, I belong to religion Islam. The Quran is there for me. 
It just happens that those people who accept the religion of Islam are known as Muslims. Mm. But it doesn't mean that you cannot reflect and read the Quran yeah. and, and learn from it. There's, there's no, like you said earlier, there's no compulsion in religion. There's no compulsion. Right? Anyone could read it. Exactly. Anyone could learn. So that's the beauty of, of it. And how then, if we could then show people that the religion of Islam and the Quran is there for everybody, it's not this book where people say it talks about violence, talks about wars, talks about... This. That's probably the most smallest part of the Quran, but it's there as a lesson, like so many other aspects are yeah. in the Holy Quran. The verse you've read out now is a lesson to us yeah. to show and to demonstrate the scientists of today who are thinking that it's, there is no religion, there's no God, it cannot exist. Mm. But when they look at it and reflect on this verse that hasn't changed for 1400 years, how can they then say that what's in the Quran is not right? Exactly. And then when we talk about the end of the universe, I mean, that's the the next example that was in that blog yeah. that we're, we're discussing as well. Yeah, the Holy Quran encompasses all scientific phenomena. Uh, in fact, it also tells us of those scientific phenomena that are still debated today. Yeah. And these next two are not, uh, you know, yet being confirmed, but it is only a matter of time before they two are discovered. Yeah. And one of uh, those topics is how the universe is going to end. Yeah. Uh, questions such as, will the universe continue to expand forever or will it collapse back in one itself? Um, and, and will we mm. raise? So the Holy Quran sheds light on this. Um, and it states that remember the day when we shall roll up the heavens like the rolling up written scrolls by a scribe. As we began the first creation, so shall we repeat it. A promise binding upon us, we shall certainly perform it. So the blog explains this first. Um, and those who are uh, related to the field of physics will understand that the terminology used, it comments that this vivid description of the Holy Quran completely fits the picture of the universe collapsing into a black hole. Angular momentum would cause the fabric of space to enter into it like the rows of parchment. Then a new universe would emerge. It is only a matter of time until the shock fate of universe is confirmed to be the most likely by physicists. So this is you know, a, a point mentioned um, by the blog as well. Um, yeah. there are other things uh, as well we have the uh, extraterrestrial life yeah as well. we, we Would discussed you like to, that didn't we? Have, you, have you discussed this yeah, we, oh, we, we I asked okay. that question uh, oh yes you did. So thank you you did. Yeah. yeah it's interesting but actually what the key what the thing is that we're kind of understanding more and more in our discussion with our guests and, and with you as well and is that this whole debate about religion and science it should be made clear that the religion of Islam doesn't shy away from knowledge. It's no. Although people feel that the Islamic world is probably backwards in many things or not interesting, but actually when you delve deeply into the teachings of the religion, you see that it's more advanced than anybody can even ever imagine. Yeah. And that's why we had the Golden Age. And also what we talk about we're not, you know, the way we enjoy our life as being Muslim is very different. It's just, uh, we're, we're just, the teachings are, are different. So I don't want to give the impression that Islam is backward in any way. It's mm. just the way 
the culture and traditions are, and the example was is that there is this concept that maybe science subjects, etc., may not be the way if you want to pursue your love of God. But actually what we've managed to understand is that the pursuit of the love of God can be hand in hand with science. Exactly. Exactly. The, 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 it goes hand to hand as well. I mean, there are scientists as well who try to ponder on the religious books, previous religious books. But I would say that scientists nowadays who want to learn more about science and 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 uh, like uh, many scientists as well. For example, some sometimes you have this idea, right? This new idea in your mind. This is something that is from God Almighty. And you sometimes think that where is this from? How did I get this idea, right? So you know one sort of one sort of revelation that God Almighty sends to people is you know these ideas, so that people can progress, people can invent, people can um, uh, you know uh, progress in in science, and and this is what uh, what what th- th- that's why you know like you said um, we should ponder on the words of God Almighty, the Holy Quran as well. The more you read it, especially for sciences, the more you read it, the more you will find support in your field as well. Uh, and just you know, just, just as an ending um, statement, I wanted to read that His Holiness said at an international conference of AMRA, which is the research uh, of, uh, of technology. He said that the time of intellectual ignorance among the Islamic world is its greatest change for the Ahmadi Muslim scientists and researchers to revive the honour and dignity of Islam in a global academic arena. Indeed, it should be your ambition to take up the glorious mantle of enlightenment adorned by the great Muslim scholars and inventors of the Middle Ages. And with that, thank you very much, Sukri, and thank you for our producers who have put this show together and for us. Thank you very much. And here is the news. <laughs>